had a aquarium type cooling system in his kitchen so that the fish could be that fresh before they fell into the frying pan. Pretty cool. But it didn't help him any because he had banished those that wanted to preach truth from his homeland of Bavaria. In 1851, Brother Ben comes back. He got married. <laughs> he went back to Europe. The Lord said, Ben, you need a helpmate. Gave him a good helpmate. He comes back, returns to America with his family now, goes to the Peoria Tremont area where he settled down. And what do you suppose happened there? Churches got started. You guys are sharp. A little tired this morning. Okay, how about this one? In 1854, Henry Getz comes to America. I knew that would get Josh's attention. Yes, he came to America, uh, traveled on the first Woodfile Railroad locomotive, which is the Rock Island Line. Now, see, Josh and, and his friends and some of the other relations here can, can boast that their ancestors were believers in the Apostolic Christian Church in the 1850s. Not any of us can say that, but they can so I guess you folks are the pioneers in the group. 1858 was the first baptism in what is now Bluffton of our sister church. In 1865, the name of our church was changed from the Evangelical Baptist to the Apostolic Christian Church. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty fitting name. Because what it means is that we are a church, a body of believers, gathered together after the order of the first church. What better group to compare ourselves to if we want to stay true to Christ was to those that Christ taught mouth to mouth. So we are members of the Apostolic Christian Church. In 1870, the first church building was built in Tremont. 1886, Mansfield is hold on. Brother Henry Geislick of Zurich visited America and found a small congregation outside of Mansfield, Ohio. And with the help of a brother, Bella. Now, I don't know if that's his first name or his last name. Joseph Bella. I guess that'd be a name. You Bella Joseph, Joseph Bella. You could use it either way. Um, from Hungary, soon grew into a large body of believers. Okay? 1900. People settled down. And the zeal to spread the gospel falls. Why? why? Why do you suppose that happened? What did settling down have to do with the gospel being spread falter? Okay, when they were being chased, Mike said they had more of a desire to be with people of the same faith and they moved and they found brethren and they taught and churches sprung up and they kept going. And, and, and that's, that's exactly right. And they got busy with life. And a lot of energies went into that. And at one point, Brother Ben's wife said, Ben, he had preached during the wintertime and he was a farmer in the summer. And they had said, Ben, you better get back because if you don't get seed in the ground, we're not going to eat next winter. Eight, 1918, English was preached in Syracuse for the first time. Brother Alpheus, Ber Alpheus Berkler did that. Interestingly enough, English was preached in Mansfield in the first time in about the same year, if not the same year, by Brother S.J. Braun, who was, a, who was the son of Andrew Braun. But S.J. was in Syracuse at the time. Um, now, let's get to the important part. We've already read Ephesians 4, 6. Let's talk about now, we got the church, it's established. What's the point? Well, I think there's some tremendous things. The first thing we have to realize is that as the body of Christ, 
as believers in Mansfield, Syracuse, Windsor, Toronto, Hamilton, <coughs> Norton, La Poente, we are part of one body of believers. We are churches that are to be unified, not autonomous. And autonomous means that we pretty much do things by ourselves and do what we want, when we want, and how we want. What do you suppose, and if we look at it, in our churches, um, if you look at the name tags in this room, we have name tags that have all kinds of different nationalities. What's the benefit of that? What are the benefits of having some folks that have come from some that have been in America since 1850, some that have come in the last 10 years from Romania, from Yugoslavia, from Hungary, from England, from Brazil, from Argentina. What's the benefit of having those different cultures coming together? Diversity. What does it help us do? What does diversity add to our lives other than tremendous enjoyment? It, it spreads that diversity around. And what happens is I can, under, I can begin to learn to see how my Serbian brother worships God and the impact that his culture has on his faith. And then I can see how my Brazilian sister worships God. And I can see how her culture impacts her faith. And they may ask me as a German descendant. Why do you do what you do? Maybe some of the things I do aren't quite right, but I needed somebody from another culture, somebody from another church to say, to help me understand it, help me see that. You see, if we all are exactly the same, <coughs> there's a tremendous potential for error. If this whole room thought exactly like I did, the church would really be in trouble. Why do you suppose that is? And don't just say, Dave, because you're strange. What happens if everybody believes the same thing? There isn't anybody coming in and questioning and challenging. Pardon? We aren't strengthened because we aren't challenged? I may think I'm right. And I might be in 90% of the things, but that 10% is where I need those from other fellowships, from other cultures, to question me, to make sure that we go back to the Constitution. Or maybe I might say, you know what? That's wrong. And they say, Brother Dave, why is it wrong? Well, it's wrong because my grandpa said it was wrong. And then they come back and say, Brother Dave, why did your grandpa say it was wrong? Show me, and all of a sudden I look. Oh, that isn't wrong. I'm sorry. That was the way I was raised. That was my culture. Or I may be doing something, saying, you know, um, my family, has, my people have done this our whole lives. We've been apostolic Christians since uh, seven generations, six, seven generations. I think Michael's the seventh generation. I can't remember exactly. I think so. If I'm the sixth, he's the seventh. Sounds close enough, okay. But you know what? Maybe what we did was just, it's 90% right, 10% wrong, and I needed somebody from somewhere else to come and say, you know, brother, I'm concerned. Look what the scripture says about this. Ooh. I never understood it that way. Why? Because we were all from the same place. Uh, Romans 12, 5. Nice and loud, Andrew. So we being many are one body in Christ, 
Okay, we being many are one body. As a member of the Syracuse congregation, I am accountable to my brothers and sisters at the other congregations for what I do. Because we are one body. And what happens through that is we help each other stay on the right track. Okay, First uh, Corinthians 12:27. Okay, simple. Now you are the body of Christ, members in particular. Again, one body. Um, was that 12.7? How about uh, 1 Corinthians 1.10? Is it on there? I forgot that one. Somebody got a Bible? Look up 1 Corinthians 1.10. That one was heavy. Um, that we all speak the same thing, we all be of one mind and of one judgment. That's heavy. Why is that important? Why do we all have to pretty much say the same thing? It's a bad witness if we don't, because I guarantee you those things where we don't say the same thing, that's the stuff the devil's going to tell our neighbors about. That's the stuff the devils are going to tell our unconverted children about. So we have to work on that. And you know what? That, you know what that means? <coughs> that means that my love for my brother has to be greater than my desire to be right and my desire to have things my way. And if that happens, the church will be unified, one body, moving together in the same thing. Okay, um, do you folks like to travel? Why? Why do you like to travel? It's fun. What ha where do you, when you travel, where do you go? To see people, you know, to see other brothers and sisters. I almost guarantee that 90% of the traveling your families do are to other churches. <coughs> Some uh, Acts 15:23. Okay, this verse here is saying, and what they did, and we'll get to this real quick. They got together. They sent letters. They sent brothers. They traveled. It's important. The benefit of travel is we learn to know each other. We learn to see each other. That's when the interaction occurs that keeps us not as autonomous groups of believers, but as one body, the apostolic Christian church, fellowshipping together, understanding each other, loving each other, admonishing each other, and it is really one of the hallmarks of our fellowship. Other denominations can't say that they do this. I've met devout Christian people that were shocked that I would go to Windsor, Ontario and stay with people I don't know that don't know me in their home overnight. You know what? That's part of our precious faith. You know, where, where, you, where you got friends... Go, when you go back to school, ask your friends how many friends they have in Canada if you live in the States. And how many friends do they have on the West Coast if you live on the East Coast or vice versa? 
They don't. That's part of our precious heritage because from the beginning there was travel. And this thing about greetings seems kind of awkward. You know, and sometimes you wonder, man, why do we do that? Uh, Titus 3.15 The Apostle Paul said, Those that are with me salute thee and greet those that love his name. <clears throat> or something like that. We're, we are directed, because the first church was, to greet one another. That's why we say greetings and God bless you. One of the special things about our churches is when we get together before or after the service and we share greetings. Tonight, it's the, when we get together for our evening general assembly, listen to how many churches extend greetings. Again, something the very first church did that our brothers years ago in wisdom decided was important. They decided travel was important because it happened back then and it, it kind of knit us together as a body of believers. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16.20 All the brethren greet you, greet you one another with a holy kiss. That might be awkward. It was for me when I was first converted. But you know what? That was something that the first church did. And it wasn't something that was given just to one of those cultures. I believe there are six references in the early churches where they were given the directive to greet one another with a holy kiss. You know what? You can't give somebody a true holy kiss if you have ought against them. Because every time you do, the Holy Spirit's going to say, you need to make peace with that brother. There's a benefit right there. Now, we don't do that out in public where society may think there's something wrong with that. Again, that's something for the, for the brethren alone, brothers, and, brothers to brothers, sisters to sisters, within usually the confines of the, of the building where, or the event where they are. Uh, Philippians 4.21. Salute everyone that, with the, this, within this group, this body of believers. <coughs> Lastly, 2 Corinthians 13, 12. Another one, greet one another with a holy kiss. Why do you suppose this greeting's important? What's it do for us? Other than the fact the first church did it. Brings us together. Brings us close together. And you know what? I want you to think about something. Think about how Luke felt when his comrades were gone and maybe he went to Ephesus and he found John. I don't think it was awkward for Luke to give John a holy kiss. And I bet they hugged each other for a long time. That's how precious the faith was to see a brother. And some of you have grandparents, grandfathers that spent years in prison for the faith. Ask them what it was like when they could see a brother. There may be a brother or a sister that you think is kind of different. It might be me. I don't know. But that's okay if you think I'm different. <laughs> you wouldn't be the first. Imagine what would happen if we were isolated, away from all believers. Somehow at some exchange of prisoners at some prison camp, we saw each other. It wouldn't matter that I was a little different. I know for a fact that we would run to one another and grab each other to greet each other because we have found 
someone of like precious faith. That's why this grieving thing is so important because that, that day may come, folks, when that happens to us. And we need to be ready for it. Eastern camp. What's the benefit of Eastern camp? That's like this major travel thing to one place. It's awesome. Been doing it since 1947. And one brother who had been to every one of those camps isn't here this year. That's Brother Harold Bolian, who now lives in Mansfield. I guess he wasn't feeling well. The other brother who has been to every one but one is my Uncle George. Do yourself a favor. Those of you in Mansfield, ask Uncle Harold to talk about camp. Ask, ask my Uncle George. Just what was it like at some of those camps? So that we can get an appreciation for how nice your rooms are. The first camp, they had like a couple bathrooms that were centrally located and it was like, Brother John Zoich says, like one room and path. That was about it. Um, but that's what it was. Now, let's talk a little bit about the organizational structure. We've got a few minutes left. Anybody know what an elder does? Because in any organization, there has to be an organizational structure to keep us structured. What's an elder do? Okay, read uh, Hebrews 13, 17. Thanks, Josh. This verse starts out in kind of a <coughs> heavy way. And it says, Obey them that have the rule over you. That doesn't sound very good, does it? But it tells us why. Because they watch for our souls as those that must give account. They give account for what we do. That doesn't sound like so much fun. But that's a job that they have. Um, why do we have elders? Because the first church had elders. Believe it or not. Uh, Titus 1.5 Thank you. We have elders because they had elders. Because they recognized that this organization of churches needed structure. That together we would need some governing body, if I can call it that, that could get together, that could resolve issues, that could work through the questions that arose and come up with a unified answer. They knew that because they had that problem. And if you read it now, but read Acts 15. What happened was, as the church read, they got to different cultures. Being one body, they all have to, have, they all have to think alike. The first thing they did was they decided we got to have an elders meeting. And they went to them, the apostles and the elder that the apostles had appointed. Very big difference in how we do it. What they in together, and it says, and if you read it, and when there was much disputation, or after much, dis after much discussion, it's a major they came up with a policy on a certain issue and a committee was sent to Antioch in Syria, or Samaria, I forgot what it was. You can read it yourself. 
to tell them what the decision was. What our churches do is exactly the same thing as the first church did. That's a major plus that I don't know any other fellowship denomination that can, that can say that. There is one difference. The one difference is their elders were appointed and ours are elected. What might be a danger in having elected elders? What's the benefit of having appointed elders? Okay. Okay. A concentrated group that can, I like the way Grace said, that can be more spirit-led. Not that the churches aren't, but if we remember when they needed some missionaries to go out somewhere, they had a meeting, I think it was in Antioch, for a work. If we go through an appointment, that out is, is something to think about. Um, lastly, I'm going to do this real quick. Whoops, I did that too quick. Where do we go from here? The first thing we do is we should praise and thank God for what we have. Because as a brother said a whole long time ago, it's the best thing on earth. And it's not good enough for us just to praise and thank God. Each one of us, beginning with you, has to go out now and tell people about it. Tell your friends about it. Be excited about it because you are here at Eastern Camp because for two centuries, brothers and sisters thought it was worth talking about and dying for. Any questions? I'm two minutes over time. If somebody has a question, you can please come talk to me. Uh, thank you very much for your time.